0: So this evening we're going to start a new series. We're going to be looking at um, the Psalms. Um, and we're going to unpack some of the, the intricacies within the Psalms um, and see if we can get a deeper understanding of them um, as we continue to chase after Jesus. Um, Psalm 95 verses 1 and 2 says this, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise before him. With psalms. With psalms. How many of you guys have a favorite song? Maybe that's a silly question. (laughs) How many of you guys have a favorite song? Okay, some hands. Would, would somebody like to perhaps share what that favorite song is? <laughs> Fewer hands. <laughs> eh? <laughs> Baby Shark. Okay, there's one. Anybody else like to share? Temple, Temple Boys. Okay. We'll chat later. <laughs> Anybody else? What's yours? Lion, okay. So there's a, there's a range of, of favorite songs um, from Baby Shark, We'll Chat Later, <laughs> and then there's Lion as well. Um, now I think, just think about this, um, why is the favorite song that you have, why is it your favorite song? or maybe um maybe a piece of poetry that you like what is it about that piece of poetry or what is it about the song that makes it special and particular to you basically it like evokes a certain emotion or a vibe and as soon as you listen to that song your mind is like remembers that emotion or that vibe and then i don't know like the song that just keeps coming to my mind is like, do you remember? <laughs> so, exactly. There are people that are moving with me. Exactly. Right. Uh, uh. You can't help but just move. <laughs> yeah. That's true, eh? That's true. Now, now by now, you, you must have noticed that people who claim to be followers of Jesus love to sing. You would have noticed that. If you haven't noticed that, we'll chat later. <laughs> But there, there, just like Julia says, there's something particular about, about singing. Um, there's something about carefully selected words or ideas that are put to music that has this way of, of piercing into the deep parts of our souls. Something about that. And then whenever we hear that song or we hear those particular words, it reminds us of something significant. And, and so, like Juliet says, it, it takes you somewhere, in a sense. And I think God made us that way. He made us to have that kind of response to something of that kind of significance. Carefully selected words in the form of poetry or music along with songs like the praise and worship that we enjoy helps us in our expression and response to God and to the church. Singing and written words helps us unite as a body. It it helps us also express our emotions to God and even to one another about God. So it becomes this mechanism that helps us express ourselves better, even if we are not musically orientated. Even if music is not your thing, there's something about it that is able to do something for you. Now, carefully selected words and music also helps us celebrate, and it helps us also to deal with difficult life situations. You know, special times of getting together don't feel the same without music. Special occasions of getting together, it doesn't feel the same if someone doesn't get up and say something significant. There's just something about that that ignites something within us. Now, besides that motivation, as Christians, as believers are, and followers of Jesus, we are actually commanded also, in some sense, to use poetry and singing in our spiritual disciplines. And this practice comes to us from the Bible in the form of Psalms. The Psalms were sung and read out as poetry in the early church, as part of worship, and we are told to continue in that. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and Colossaea, and he said to them um, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. James there, the brother of Jesus, said, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him and her sing psalms. The psalms seem to teach us how to approach God in prayer, how to praise Him, how to worship Him, and even how to live a holy and a righteous life. It also demonstrates to us in some way what to do when we fail and how to deal with probably every human emotion that we experience. And so what we'll do for the next few weeks is we're going to look at the book of Psalms and every week we'll unpack one particular Psalm and see what we can learn from that, not only about ourselves, but about God our Father. Now, though it may not sometimes seem like it when we read through the book of Psalms, um, biblical poets love design. Um, And the writers of the Psalms, they masterfully used metaphors and symbolism and we'll encounter much of that as we go along. In the same way that some of the words of your favorite song, does something to you, the person who wrote, who put those words together, very carefully thought about the particular words used there to emote something within us. And the poems that we engage with in the book of Psalms invites us into an experience to ponder ideas slowly. Slowly. And from many different angles, and the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. Because poetry can be found elsewhere in the scriptures as well. The Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. And their poems were written by Israelite sages, by wise men, kings, prophets, lots of different Um, Kinds of people. And some of those poems would have been sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. Now, quite interestingly, the book of Psalms, we often don't think of it as one particular book, but the book of Psalms was written over a time span of about 1,000 years. And then over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on those special occasions. But the Book of Psalms isn't just this collection of of well-written and thought-out and described ideas. It's a bit more than that. The fact is that each psalm has been expertly crafted, even though sometimes some of the language and the style of writing makes no sense to us in the 21st century, what is happening in those Psalms is that deeply profound truths are being communicated. The book of Psalms also manages to create for us a storyline from the book's beginning to its end, and it's one of those things that you would miss if you didn't know to look for it. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and as the writers of the Psalms do this, over that time span, they invite you into what some theologians call a literary temple, a temple made with words. Now, as we know, in terms of formal worship gatherings, like those there, the Israelites began with the tabernacle in the desert, and then later on, the temple in Jerusalem was where ancient Israelites went to meet with their God, to meet with Yahweh, to meet with the God who we worship. And when you arrived at the temple, you would see art and imagery everywhere within the temple. It was an exquisitely built structure that we often don't think was possible in ancient times. I actually found this interesting app um, that gives you like a 3D tour where you are able to walk into um, an artist's depiction of what the, the temple could have looked like. Um, I'll share it on the group. Um, but that's, that's what the scenario was. It started out in the tabernacle in the desert, and then they later on it was the temple there in Jerusalem. And when you went to the temple, you would see priests performing rituals You'd hear songs being sung, you would hear prayers being prayed, and all of that you encountered at the temple symbolically proclaimed that your God rules the universe. And when you were in the temple, you were in his living room. That's how they thought. That's how they engaged with God in those times. And so the temple was a place to be in God's presence. And also a place to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Now, in our series on the theme of the city, we tried to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and they plundered and burned down the temple and they took many Israelites into exile back into Babylon. That whole beautiful building there on the the right there was destroyed. And when that traumatic event happened, the Israelites were faced with the challenge of where they could now go to meet with God. Where could they go to freely sing their songs? Where could they go to sing their story? Where could they now poetically describe the ways of Yahweh? How could they now express their lament, their joy? How could they now express their expectations? Because there was nothing like that being allowed in Babylon, the place of their capture. And that's where the book of Psalms comes in. To the Israelites, Psalms was and still is a prayer book for exiles designed as this virtual temple. And so when we engage with the Psalms, even today, we meet with God. And we hear again the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to us in poetry. Now, when you read the Psalms, you actually are hearing the cries of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ from generations ago. You learn from them. We learn how to celebrate and how to weep. We learn how to lament. And in some sense, they counsel us in those moments when nobody is around. The words that we engage with in Psalms, they are alive. Like Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us. They minister To us. And if we pay attention, Psalms will also take us somewhere. It will take us to this literary temple where the carefully selected words minister in and through you by the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit. Now, as we know, there are 150 psalms in total, and the 150 psalms are actually broken up into five clear parts or sections. Um, And that is them there. Part one is Psalms 1 to 41, and the final doxology, which is kind of like The line that separates the one part from the next of the first part is in um, Psalms 41 and verse 13, and it says this, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's the doxology of the first part. The second part is found in Psalm 72 verses 18 and 19, and it says this, Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And then Psalm 3 has its own. Psalm 4 also has its own. And then right at the end, of psalm 150 and verse 6 the last psalm only has six verses it says let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord amen so psalms are broken up into those five sections and those five sections are demarcated by those doxologies now if we take psalms as a whole We see at the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, which lays out the main theme of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. We're going to take a look at that now, and we're going to have a look very quickly at Psalm 1 and 2. And Is there someone who would like to read for us? this is a this is not a um, yeah it's not a conventional Bible it's the message um, version it's not a translation so Mike you're gonna read Psalm 1 um, and this year I actually want you guys to read through the psalm there as it appears in the NIV version and Mike is going to read from a different um Um, So this is a different way of putting what is in that particular um, understanding over there. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along Dead End Road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You are a tree replanted in Eden. Bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked, who are mere windblown dust. Without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take is Skid Row. Skid Row is apparently a, um, it's a very poor area with um, not well developed infrastructure. Now Psalm 1 actually looks back, it takes you back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. And God placed humanity in a garden temple, and here humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms, and so are exiled from the garden. You, can you kind of see those elements in the words there? If you look just behind some of what is being used there. And what the psalm also does is it plants a picture of hope about an upright human being who delights in God's wisdom, in His law, which is called the Torah. And as we read in the psalm, we see that this person is described to be like the tree of life in the garden temple. And this kind of person, this human being, will eternally blossom because they are planted by the river of God's life. That's Psalm 1. That kind, of, kind of gives you in that picture of where you had come from and what some of the decisions were made that brought you onto this road. And then we go to Psalm 2. And we'll be very quick about Psalm 2. And um, I'll read Psalm 2 from the message. And you can follow along there if you can. This is how it's described here. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, people? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God denies. The Messiah defies. Let's get free of God, cast loose from Messiah. Heaven throned God breaks out laughing. At first he's amused at their presumption, then he gets good and angry, and furiously he shuts them up. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? A coronation banquet is spread for him on the holy summit. Let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son, and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present? continents as a prize. You can command them all to dance for you or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So rebel kings, use your heads. Upstart judges, learn your lesson. Worship God in adoring embrace. Celebrate in trembling awe. Kiss Messiah. Your very lives are in danger, you know, his anger is about to explode. But if you make a run for God, you won't regret it. So that's Psalm 2. And Psalm 2, in a sense, continues the, the kind of framing for um, the book of Psalms. And Psalm 2, briefly, is about God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. David. And he's called the Son of God and the Messiah. And God appoints him to bring justice on earth and to restore God's kingdom and to bring peace over all the nations. And in Psalm 2, as we see, there's also a warning to world leaders. It is noted that God is aware of how they lead in a way that pushes God and his ways out. And along with this warning is the invitation to kiss God's Son, something very intimate, who is Jesus, and embrace Him as King and Lord or else. That's what Psalm 2 communicates there. Now what we see here is how Psalms wants to introduce all these main themes very early on in the book And as you continue to read through the book, Psalms kind of develops these themes through the five sections or the five parts in different ways, using different characters and using different settings and stories and experiences of people. Psalm 3 then begins to explore the complicated story of David and his royal family, and next week we'll take a more in-depth look at Psalm 3 um, before we go deeper into the book. Now as you read further, Psalms then focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line, and this is all done using poetry. And then the fourth and the fifth sections that we looked at earlier, they rekindle again the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. And now we have to mention also that nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one person. And that one person is David. David, who God chose to rule Israel, he has this life story that is very important to the book of Psalms. And David experienced, as we know, many times of hardship, but he trusted God with a kind of a radical faith. And in this poem that David writes, these psalms that we read, David shares his fears, he confesses his failures, and he offers thanks in different ways. And in many of the 73 psalms that David wrote, he is speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence. And we actually see that same desire, that longing, expressed by later generations too. And what happens is David's prayers and his poetry in the Psalms actually kind of became the same words and expressed desires of later generations, including us. And so David, if we think about him in that sense, is kind of like a like a prayer coach giving us the words for how to pray and how to discover God's presence in good times and in bad times, in times when you fail and in times when it feels like the world is against you. And so there are these 73 poems that are connected to David, but most of the rest... Um, come from later generations of biblical poets like Asaph and Heman, not Heman, um, Ethan, Ethan, (laughs) and then there's Solomon, and then there's Moses and Hezekiah as well, and then a number of the Psalms. Um, We just don't know who wrote them. But all of these writers have learned to pray and hope just like David did. And so the end result of their recorded experiences appear for us in the Psalms, and it helps us when we ourselves find ourselves in similar situations. In closing, I don't think that um, Psalms is the kind of book you just read. Once and then you put it down, or maybe you cherry pick one or two and you stick to those because the rest of the language just doesn't make sense to you. I don't think Psalms is that kind of book. It's actually a book that is designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection. And these prayers and these laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own for all generations of God's people. They are not just words for those people from long ago, from ancient times. Those words are actually applicable in our now as well. And when we become followers of Jesus, there's a sense in which we too become exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is expressed to us in many ways through the Psalms. We also, in the ways of the ancient people, we seek God's ways. The way that you are looking for God right now, people many generations before you have done the same. And when we engage with the Psalms, we get a look into how they dealt with it. And so, as we do that, as we seek God's ways, as we seek His righteousness, His justice in the world, as we hope for the coming of the Messiah, when the kingdom of God will be realized in all of its fullness, there are actually people who have gone long before us who are hoping for the same things. And as good practice, I think, for us to to learn from those who have gone before us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is alive and powerful, that is sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to pierce even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is even able to discern our thoughts and the intents of our hearts. We thank you that you have given that to us. We thank you that as we engage with your word, that it adds something to us, That is some, that it is even able to take us to places that we may never have been. And so, Lord, as we continue to read your word, as we continue to cry out to you in ways that those who have gone before us have done, We eagerly desire to have your kingdom come here on earth, as they too have done. And so we covered the presence of your Holy Spirit. Even as we step out into this week, as we face challenges, let us be reminded of those who have gone before us, who record for us how we could deal with those. How we can pray and come before you. How we can find deeper meaning in your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with us as we do that. Keep us safe through this week until we come together again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.